So how are you feeling at this time in the term? Are you tired from your work or confident about your last assignment? Are you wired from your coffee intake or pleased with your progress? Are you worried about the sermon that some of you are presenting in the very next class? (laughs) Or thankful that the Lord is leading each task? I've stated these intentionally as contrasts because as we come today, how are you coming to chapel? If we did a group check-in, which we won't have time to do, What thoughts and feelings would you share about how you come today? However you're coming, our text for today helps us explore our calling. In his book, The Call, Oz Guinness writes, Calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have, is invested with a special devotion and dynamism, lived out in response to his summons and service. Imagine what could happen at ADC if all of our class time, all of our coursework, all of our discipleship, all of our leadership, everything we are, everything we do, was lived out as devoted and a dynamic response to God's summons. As opposed to just cranking out another paper, completing another assignment, connecting with somebody else in the church, what would happen if we recovered a deeper sense of our call? As we journey with Jeremiah, I want to share some lessons that I've learned from Jeremiah that I hope will be helpful to you as well. As we journey with Jeremiah, we discover... First, that we live out God's calling by listening to the Lord. We live out God's call by listening to the Lord. In Jeremiah 1, verses 4 and 5, we read, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. You see, before Jeremiah was discovering his calling, God was forming him in the womb, creating him to contribute to the world that so desperately needs hope in God. Eugene Peterson reflects on this starting point. He writes, Before we were formed in the womb, God knew us. We are known before we know. This realization, he writes, has a practical result. No longer do we run here and there, panicked, anxious, searching for answers for life. Our lives are not puzzles to be figured out, he writes. Rather, we come to God who knows us and reveals to us the truth about our lives. The fundamental mistake is to begin with ourselves and not with God. If we are going to live appropriately, we must be aware that we are living in the middle of a story that was begun and will be concluded by another. And this other is God. So what story is God writing in your life? How is your story 
part of Christ's bigger story of salvation, God's unfolding kingdom. Jeremiah's calling gets expanded in verse 10. See today I appoint you over the nations and the kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Jeremiah's appointment or calling is to be a prophet to the nations. Someone who will build and tear down, plant and uproot. These images are like Jeremiah's personal mission statement, the calling that captivated his life. The themes that resurface again, if you do a book study with Dr. Wooden on Jeremiah, you will see that these themes resurface again and again and again. Sometimes he's planting, sometimes he's uprooting. Sometimes he's tearing down, sometimes he's building up, but all of it as a part of what God is doing. How can you relate with your story to Jeremiah's journey? As I explored my calling as an undergrad at Queen's University, I was unsure about whether God was leading me to work with government or the nonprofit sector, and I did an undergrad in politics and a master's in public administration. When I was sorting out, where was God leading? What was God doing? or considering the call to pastoral ministry. And I will say up front, we need Christians in every field of society, being faithful to their call where they are, in whatever that field is. But amidst my confusion about calling, I meditated on several of the call stories in Scripture, including Jeremiah 1. My details were different, but as I prayed with the Scripture, the Lord showed me about my calling. What is the Lord wanting to say to you today? about God's call for you. Clarifying our calling is not just a personal path, it's also a pastoral priority within community. After years of trying to help churches thrive and not just try to survive, Wayne Cordiero concludes, I'm convinced that the influence a church has on its community will be determined in large part not by the personality of the pastor, the size of its building, or how long the ministry has worked in the community it will be determined instead by the percentage of involvement in the ministry of each member. Stay tuned for Baptist Polity in Practice with Dr. Maxwell, the priesthood of all believers, key belief. He writes, this marks the transition from attendance to ownership, from being consumers to contributors. How many people are coming to church and thinking, hmm, Let me give you my customer satisfaction card. I would rate that sermon. I would rate that song. I would rate that. As opposed to saying, I'm a contributor. God has actually created me to contribute. Imagine if people in our churches and our communities shifted from being mere consumers to seeing themselves as created to be contributors for God's kingdom, God's justice, God's mercy. What about your role as a divine talent scout? To see the talents, the gifts, the abilities, the passion that God has placed in the people with whom you serve? And to invite them to join this journey of discovery on listening to the Lord for their calling in their workplace, in their family, among their neighbors. Well, this may sound intriguing. Jeremiah was actually more intimidated than intrigued. In Jeremiah 1, we discover, second, that we live out our call by releasing our resistance. Releasing our resistance. 
Jeremiah's first response is actually reluctance and resistance. Full of more hesitation than hope, full of more fear than faith. Jeremiah's calling unfolds in verse 6. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. So on your chairs when you came in is a little bookmark for you to use. On the paper, you were invited to pray about your own resistance and fill in these lines to personalize the passage. How would you complete the sentence? I don't know how to... I am too, too young, too old, too this, too that, too whatever. Maybe it's your internal critic that for some reason is in your head and sort of criticizes what you have to offer. Maybe it's external pressure from others and you're surrounded by critics in your family, your community, wherever, and they say, you are too. How they try to label you or box you in or limit your sense of calling. How would you fool in these lines? Or what are your other reasons for resistance? My spiritual direction training, we, part of what we covered was around all the ways people subtly play games with God and resist what God wants to do. As I was reading through those chapters and listening to the training and participating in the exercise, like, oh yeah, I've got that one down. I've got that one down. Ways that I resist God drawing me deeper, challenging me, encouraging me. What about you? What are your forms of resistance? What would you put there? In clarifying my own sense of calling, I had to work through some baggage about being a missionary's kid and a pastor's kid. I've seen the church do wonderful things with powerful potential, and I've also seen very painful periods in my family's ministry. And I thought to myself, if this is what pastoring is, I think I'll move to a different province and study something different. (laughs) Did I really want to be in a place where everyone knew my parents and who they were and what they did? I had to work through some of my own baggage, my own reasons for resistance. What about you? I had to face some fears. I had to face some facades that I had built up. What about you? In his book, Let Your Life Speak, Listening to the Voice of Vocation, Parker Palmer probes the process of clarifying our calling. He writes this, With 21 words carefully chosen and artfully woven, May Sarton evokes the quest for vocation, at least my quest for vocation, with candor and precision, he writes. Here's the beginning of her poem. Now I become myself. It's taken time, many years and places. I have been dissolved and shaken, worn other people's faces. Now I become myself. It's taken time, many years and places. I've been dissolved and shaken, worn other people's faces. Parker comments, what a long time it can take to become the person one has always been. How often in the process we mask ourselves in faces that are not our own. Oh, if I was only like so-and-so. If I only had these gifts, these interests, these abilities, this background, these friends. He writes, how much dissolving and shaking of ego must we endure before we discover our deep identity, the true self within every human being that is the seed of authentic vocation. So what weeds in your life and in mine are choking out the seeds of God's calling? 
What reasons for resistance are hindering your calling? Joyce Rock, who's a spiritual director, has this wonderful analogy that it's really hard to say hello and greet whatever God has for us next if we're holding on to something. What are you clinging to with a tight fist that means that you can't open your hand to welcome what's next? What are your reasons for resistance? The stuff that you have, I joked with Dorothy, maybe what we need is a Stuff 101 course, just for all of us to sort of bring our stuff and work it through. What's that stuff that you're holding on to that hinders you being able to open up your hand and say yes to what's next? So what about the welcome side of an open hand? In Jeremiah 1, we discover third, that we live out God's call by refocusing on God's presence. We live out God's call by refocusing on God's presence. Listen for the repetition and variation of this theme in Jeremiah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord came to me. The Lord said to me, the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? The word of the Lord came to me again. You see, Christians are not deists. We don't believe in a God that's like a clockmaker who sort of makes the clock, winds it up, or puts the battery in and then sort of, bye, catch you later and is not involved in our lives. As we'll be celebrating in Advent in a few weeks, and probably most of the churches will be reading that wonderful passage in Matthew's Gospel. We believe in Emmanuel, God with us in Jesus Christ. And just in case we miss it, Matthew puts an Emmanuel sandwich. Emmanuel at the beginning, and at the end, in the Great Commission, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. We believe in Jesus as God with us. In Jeremiah 1.12, the Hebrew word for watching, the picture that he sees, sounds like the Hebrew for almond tree. A biblical scholar gives context for the text by noting this. The almond tree was to bloom first in the spring, and the city of Anathoth was known for its almond trees. So God speaks right into Jeremiah's journey. You're from Anathoth. I know those almond trees. You see them every year. They're always the first to bloom. Remember the almond trees. Remember that picture from your place, your time. And that's going to be a reminder that I am with you. For Jeremiah, the almond tree refocuses him on God's presence. The promise of the Lord's presence sort of crescendos in the passage at the end of the passage. Picking up in verse 17, Get yourself ready, stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified for them, by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So in case we missed it, God gives this promise twice. Early in the passage, for I am with you and will rescue you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. The Renovari Spiritual Formation Bible has this little note at the bottom. It says, 
No false advertising here. The task God has called young Jeremiah to perform will not be easy. Yet along with fair warning comes a strong promise of divine presence and support. Success, popularity, and visible results are not promised. What is promised is sustaining presence. Though the task ahead may be full of peril, it is also a task sustained by a promise. God says, I am with you. Counselors talk about how sometimes it's easy to have constricted thinking. We focus in on the problem and we miss all the other things going on. And we want to, this passage invites us to, refocus on God's presence, not be fixated on all the challenges. The repeated line in Jeremiah 1, 8 and 19, for I am with you and will rescue you. So what do you use to remind yourself that God is with you and a rescuer? Past year, a few years as a family, we've had quite a bit of adversity as a family. And at different times, different things have reminded me and refocused me on God's presence. For a time, I used to carry with me, I was working through the Psalms and the image comes up again and again, I am your rock. So I have this smooth little rock to put in my pocket. God's got this. I am your rock. It also says, I am your shield. That was a little hard to put in my pocket. So. <laughs> Another passage is that we have a Savior who's in it with us. Whatever we face, the Lord's faced it with us. And so sometimes just this cross and holding that and putting it in the pocket... Sometimes it might be a song. It's a song that Nathan, our son, one of our kids, chose at his baptism. For you are my all in all. You are my strength when I am weak. Sometimes that line would come to me. I'm not much of a musical person. Kazoo on a good day, maybe. But that's about the limit of my musical ability. And so, but the lines of that song would come to me. You are my strength when I am weak. So even in preparing this message, I had sermon block. It's like, oh no, what am I going to do? For those of you who are about to preach this afternoon, you might have had that moment. And so I decided to put on a YouTube video of the Wren Collective. You are my rescuer. And we're going to sing that at the end of the service. Rescuer. You see, the message of rescuer that's conveyed in that song and in Jeremiah 1 is that it's not that we just need rescue when we come to Christ. (laughs) We need rescue on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and every day. See, in a book on church conflict that has sort of the subtitle, Never Resign on Monday. There's a sense in which we need to be reminded about the rescuer. And so it doesn't matter how you do that, but how will you refocus on God's presence? Maybe you want to make that verse into a breath prayer where you sort of Breathe out all the stress that you have and breathe in and receive the promise for I am with you and will rescue you. And just to pray that prayer again and again at different pauses in the day. It doesn't matter how you do it, but I invite you to do that. You see, when we dig into Jeremiah's journey, we discover that we live out God's call by listening to the Lord, by releasing our resistance and refocusing on God's presence. 